Mr. Peterson, uh, Eugene. Um, my name is Bono. I'm the singer with uh, the group U2, and wanted to sort of video message you my thanks and our thanks and the band for this remarkable work you've done. And I listened to his music and I thought, I like this guy. And I, I was starting to, after a while, I started was start being quite pleased that he knew me. <laughs> Yes, but the rest of the story is when the, he invited you to come and hang with them for a while, you turned him down. I was, I was pushing a deadline on the message. Uh, I was finishing up the Old Testament at the time, and I really couldn't do it. I, I, uh, you may be the only person alive <laughs> who would turn down the opportunity just to make a deadline. I mean, come on. It's, it's Bono, for crying out loud. Dean, it was Isaiah. Yeah. I think it's one of his one of his best ones and he he sings a lot i mean he does this a lot it's one of the psalms that reaches into the hurt and disappointment and uh, difficulty of being a human being and uh acknowledges that in in a language that is immediately um, recognizable you know there's something that reaches into the heart of a person and the stuff we all feel many of us don't talk about. Kairos, it is so good to be with you here. My name is Danny Householder. I'm a pastor at Hope Ames, also going to be a part of Kairos. It is wonderful to be worshiping with you tonight. It's wonderful to be worshiping with our friends in Iowa City. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and turn around and look at that camera, I think, right? That camera, and on the count of three, say, what's up, Iowa City? One, two, three. What's up, Iowa City? Iowa City, we love you. Hey, we're going through a series, and it's called Getting Through, or how... What's it called? Getting Through What You're Going Through? Is that the name of the series? Is this Kairos? I don't know. Um, getting Through What You're Going Through. Uh, and we are talking about some difficult things, and especially tonight we're talking about some tough stuff. Uh, anybody feel like they've ever gone through anything in their life? Man, I've gone through some stuff in my life. Maybe you're going through something right now. Then there are the things in this world that we're going through, and it feels like we're never going to actually get through them. These are the things that just won't ever stop. Tonight, we're talking about getting through what you're going through when it won't stop. That's the title of tonight's message, When It Won't Stop. There's a way that we deal with things um, when they're hurting us, when they're bothering us, when we're having a hard time getting through them. And oftentimes, we just put them in our back pocket. Eugene Peterson was in that opening clip. He's the biblical scholar, the biblical translator, one of the greatest translator who's, translators who's ever lived. Uh, one of the very few who uh, was famous for both his Hebrew and Greek knowledge. Uh, those two languages are so different from one another that it's hard for someone to be an expert in both. And yet, he was an expert in both. 
He uh, came out with one of the most popular and famous translations. Some people will call it a paraphrase of the Bible ever called The Message. And uh, he came out with that in 2002, as you saw in that video. And it touched a lot of people. One of the people that it touched was a guy named Bono. Anybody in here know who Bono is? Like, we still know who Bono is, right? Like, Bono, to me, I think he's just like, he just oozes coolness, right? I grew up in a house where, like, my parents played U2, uh, on, like, around our house when I was growing up. So I just thought he had, like, the coolest voice. And I see him in this clip with him. I'm like, Bono, you're so cool. And you're hanging out with Eugene Peterson. And he's so cool. And I see these people coming together in these brilliant brains. And something that they came up with together that I thought was just so genius was there are things that we don't talk about, but we all feel them. Sometimes when we're going through the things that won't stop, our default for how to handle them is we just put them in our back pocket. We stop dealing with them at all. We just try to quiet them for a little bit. Anybody here have an issue with the snooze button? Yeah, I have an issue with the snooze button. You can ask my wife, it's not great. Every single morning, my wife gets to, uh, gets to hear this absolutely brilliant sound. You ready for it? Here it comes. You hate it, don't you? You hate it. Um, and so anyway, the problem with it is I will hit the snooze button and I tell myself, well, it's fine, right? Like, no big deal. Like, it's fine. I'm going to get nine more minutes and that's going to change my entire night of sleep, right? Nine more minutes. The snooze button is the worst invention ever. Sure enough, nine minutes later, it's coming. Here it is. And wait for it. Oh, and then you hit it again. You tell yourself, okay, that time I'm, I'm really going to get up. I'm really going to wake up next time. I promise. Abby, I promise I'm going to wake up this time. She's like, please wake up. Please, Ann. Oh, there it is. You want to keep doing this? No, we don't. We don't. It's the worst sound in the world. Anybody else have that exact tone for their wake-up call? A few of you. Do you know why I made that one mine? Because it's the most annoying sound in the world. Ah, stop it. Oh, curse you. Okay, how do you, how do, okay, no snooze. Perfect. Okay, all right, that's, I don't want it to happen again. I'm really going to regret throwing that. <laughs> oh, but we just put it in our back pocket. We turn it off. We silence it. But sure enough, when we don't actually deal with those things, they pop back up. Oftentimes, the way that we try to deal with what we're going through, the way that we try to get through what we're going through is just by ignoring it for a second, by not talking about it but we know that's not right. We know that's crazy. I mean, my goodness, if you were walking around and you had a giant infection on your face, somebody would say, go get that checked out. You couldn't just say, oh, it's nothing. If I don't talk about it, if I don't think about it, it'll go away. No, it won't. And then it will get on your friends. And that's not fun. We got to talk about it. We got to deal with it. Going through what we're, or getting through what we're going through is not about simply ignoring something. There, there are a lot of things that we all deal with that we all feel, but we don't talk about, right? It's funny. I think that you'll find that you actually relate to a lot of people when you talk about the things that go on in your head, but we don't bring up out loud. I found these on a, on a spam, a, a clickbait article, if you will. Um, things that we don't talk about, but everybody experiences. Here's the first one. Um, when you open a birthday card and pretend not to notice the money as you read it. Anybody have that issue? You're with your grandparents, they're saying happy birthday, it's so sweet, your grandma wrote a really long, nice note, and you see that 20 in there? Yeah, uh-huh, like, don't look at it, don't look at it, thanks for the car, oh, there's money in here? What? Get out! Here's another one, maybe you can relate to this over the last year and a half, me looking at myself in the video chat, not hearing a word anyone else is saying. <laughs> your professor calls on you, what? <laughs> 
Uh, how about this one? Anybody else have spelling issues uh, when you try to spell the word necessary? I hate that word. It is, uh, it, is a, it, it is a necessary word, apparently, in the English dictionary, but I, I really wish that it would go away. Uh, here's one that I'm not proud of that I experienced, but I don't talk about. Me watching the elevator close on people, it's like, only press the close sign. And they're showing up, please close, please, come on! This one actually kind of hits on a little bit of a deep level. Uh, the next one. Do you ever just forget to hide your expressions for a minute? And then you're like, whoa, did not mean to make that face out loud. Someone looks at you and they're like, hey, how are you doing today? Well, okay, tell me about it. Uh, Jesus tells us in the scriptures, name your stuff. If you're feeling it, name it. I read that uh, somewhere maybe around half of college students are dealing with depression these days. Only one out of three, maybe even up to one out of eight of those students are talking about it. We've got to name this stuff. I think this one hits on a deeper level because it's like the emotions that are inside of us, they just pour out whether we want them to or not. It's the snooze button. It will show back up again. Jesus was uh, so real about stuff. He didn't pretend. In Matthew chapter five, this just always blows my mind. Jesus names really painful things and he says something about it that we wouldn't expect him to say. He says, God blesses those who are poor, those who mourn, those who are humble, those who hunger and thirst for justice. Hey, when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you, when you're really going through something, when you are really going through something, Jesus says on the next screen, be happy about it. Huh? It sounds insensitive. It sounds wrong. But Jesus is saying, as you're going through the things that you're going through, you can be happy about it you can experience joy. But it doesn't come from pretending like everything's okay. From a very young age, we are taught to pretend. We are taught to fake it until we make it. When I was in fourth grade, I was in the orchestra at uh, Westridge Elementary School, and I had a friend in the orchestra with me. I played viola, and my friend uh, Nate played the violin. And uh, I was texting about him recently, uh, texting him about this uh, experience recently because it just, it's a fun memory in my mind. Um, it's not easy to play a string instrument. Uh, I, I'm blown away by when I, I see musicians come up here and they, and they do their stuff, because it is not easy. It is incredible. I mean, you go to the fourth grade orchestra concert and you hear hot cross buns and it just pierces your eardrums. But then you actually pick up a violin or a viola or a cello or a bass. You're like, wow, it's actually not that easy. It's amazing. It's a miracle that fourth graders can even come close. As I was sitting there in orchestra, I would look over at my friend Nate as he's playing his violin, and something that was very interesting about it is he wasn't ever actually touching his bow to the string. He was pretending to play. And he'd look over at me like, oh yeah, oh, totally, yeah, uh-huh. And then like, you know, just shaking the whole head, the body. You know, you know that you're really good at the violin when you shake your whole body. That's what I see on YouTube. Anyway, he was pretending, right? He found out that it's a lot harder to play, right? It's, and he didn't want to talk about it. It was kind of embarrassing. I kid you not, when our concert was coming up, he was horrified. He thought, I'll be found out. If I play in front of everyone, they're going to see that I'm not touching the, string, the strings. So he lied to his parents. He told his parents, hey, our conductor, uh, our director, she canceled the concert. Would, 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 can you believe it? And to our director, he said, uh, my parent, we're going out of town. Can you believe it? Of course, people who we don't think talk to each other talk to each other. They found out. 
And as I was talking to him about this recently, we were texting about it. I said, so what do you think that you learned from it? Just kind of, that was insensitive. It was kind of rubbing in, I guess. And, but he said, it's a lot easier to tell the truth and to essentially go through what you're going through than to lie about it. The truth causes so much less stress than to pretend. And so often we're pretending, thinking I can just put it away, but nine minutes later, it's going to pop back up. It surprises you. I put this away, I put this to bed, but here it is. That's so hard. I know it is so hard to confront it and to be honest about it, but we have no other option when we're going through it. About a month ago, I ran a marathon and when you're running, I know, I, last week I, I joked about, you know, runners, they always talk about running. Well, here I am. Last month, I, I ran a marathon. And uh, when you're running a marathon, you don't have much of a choice other than to acknowledge what you're going through. You can pretend like you're not hurting, but it will hurt. You can pretend like everything's fine, but still Psalm 22 goes through your brain. And instead you're thinking things like this. Every joint in my body has been pulled apart. My heart is a blob of melted wax in my gut. I look really charming in that picture, don't I? I know I look cool. You don't have to tell me. And uh, maybe you can't relate to running, but instead you'd maybe relate more to like you're a lifter, right? And you're, you're, you're feeling the pain of that. Um, <laughs> dang it, I did not see that guy in the background. Boy, that's a winner. Man, next slide. <laughs> wow. Man. But you feel like you're being crushed. And your, your soul screams. You can tell yourself you're fine, but the truth is that things are happening on inside of you, and, and you have to talk about it. You can't pretend anymore. You have to be real. You have to tell the truth. I was running a marathon one time and there was a guy in front of me and he had tattooed on his shoulder. I will never forget him having this tattooed on his shoulder because it was Psalm 35. And Psalm 35 is a surprising thing to have tattooed on your body. It's harass these hecklers, punch these bullies in the nose, reassure me, let me hear you say, I'll save you. There's this biblical author who's screaming out to God, hear me, pay attention to me. I'm hurting right now and I need you to notice me. I think when we're going through a hard time and it won't stop, we tell ourselves if I ignore it, the pain won't hurt so bad. But the truth is, if we ignore it, if someone else doesn't notice it, if someone doesn't join us in it, it gets worse and it hurts more. Pay attention, please notice this. Did you know that when you're ignored, the same part of your brain is ignited as when you're being punished? So when you're being ignored, your brain is telling you you're being punished right now. And so when we ignore our biggest problems in our lives, we're punishing ourselves. We want to be heard. We want to be seen. We want to be known. When uh, I was a kid, my brother and I, we shared a bedroom. And uh, every single night we'd go to bed and I'd say, good night, John. He'd say, good night, Danny. I'd say, I love you. And he wouldn't say it back. I'm like, I love you. Nothing. John, say it back. I love you. And I keep on saying it over and over again until finally John would say back, I love you too. Later on, when we moved into a different house, we were in two separate rooms um, and our rooms were right next to each other and our, we slept with our doors open. And sure enough, every single night, we'd be going to bed and be like, hey, John, good night. He'd be like, good night, Danny. I love you. Say it back, please. You want someone to notice you. You want someone to hear you. You want somebody to see you. You just don't want to be ignored. It hurts. What are those feelings inside of you? What is the thing that you're going through? It won't stop. 
Jesus invites us to stop hiding it in our back pocket and instead bring it to the forefront, to stop pretending and instead to be honest. Instead of me teaching you about this, I'd like to turn it over to one of the greatest modern artists of all time and one of the greatest theologians of all time. See what they have to say about it. I was 12 years old when I discovered the Psalms. I picked up the Bible and I started reading and somebody told me that the Psalms were important. So I started with the Psalms and I was totally confused because um, I grew up in a culture where every word in the Bible was the word of God, literally. Don't mess around with it. It's just, that's the way it is. And I was starting to read uh, that he keeps my tears in his bottle, uh, shields, <laughs> uh, javelins, a uh, rock. God is a rock. Come on. And, but it's, it's not smooth. It's not nice. It's not pretty. But it's, it's honest. And I think we're trying for honesty, um, which is very, very hard in our, in our culture. I, I'm talking about dishonesty. That I find a lot of in, the, in in Christian art, a lot of dishonesty. Yeah, right. and, I, and, I, and, I, and I think it's a shame because you got these are people who are vulnerable to God in a good way. You know, vulnerable. I mean, porous, open. I I would love if 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 this conversation would inspire people who are writing these beautiful voices and writing these beautiful, say, gospel songs. Write a song about their bad marriage. Because that's what God wants from you, that truth, the way, the truth. And, and that truthfulness, know the truth, the truth will set you free, it'll blow things apart. Why I, I'm suspicious of Christians is because uh, of this lack of, of realism. And I'd love to see more of that in art and in life and in music. Um, so as they're talking about, you know, it's not smooth, it's rough. Um, you may have noticed I was trying to find my phone over there for a second because I wanted to make sure it didn't break and I found it and I was bringing it backstage and, and I totally wiped out. It's not, it's not smooth. It's rough. It's real. It's honest. There is no use in pretending. Bono there, he's got a great point. Sometimes we're just straight up dishonest. And I'm not saying that we're being dishonest because we're trying to deliberately lie, but I think we're just trying to protect ourselves. Maybe protect our reputation, maybe protect our hearts, whatever it might be. We're trying to protect ourselves from that feeling of, I'm exposed now, people see me. But there's no use in pretending. God knows what's going on. Let's revisit this text. Again, Jesus says, there are those who are poor, those who are, mo who are mourning, they're humbled. They're hunger and they thirst for justice. Then there are those people who will mock you and persecute you. And even if you can't relate specifically to one of those things on that list, we all belong on that list. Because at a certain point in our lives, every single one of us will realize one day, I'm going through something. And it hasn't stopped in a while. I don't remember the last time that I felt like me. I don't remember the last time that I felt normal. I don't know what me feels like anymore. We belong on that list. And I don't believe that when Jesus is telling us this, he's not saying, hey, you know, go ahead and be happy about it and just ignore it. No, he's saying you have the opportunity to be blessed. You are blessed in those situations. And what does it mean to really be blessed? When I was a little bit younger, people would say hashtag blessed. 
I don't really see that quite as often anymore, but they'd post something like, I went on this vacation, or I got this award, or I'm graduating, hashtag blessed. And sure, I think that those are blessings, but there's also something deeper about being blessed. The biblical word for blessed is makarios. Everybody say makarios. And makarios, it means something very deep and very beautiful. It means to be blessed, but it also means to have an untouchable joy. It means to be able to pursue to pursue a dream in the midst of a storm. It means having the ability to keep stability in the waves. It's joy. It's something that can't be taken. It is untouchable, the Greek insinuates. It's not that when you're going through these things, you uh, bring them up to tell people, well, this is my victory story. For some of us, it's not a victory story yet, is it? These things have been going on for a long time and we can't shake them yet. This doesn't feel like victory. I don't want to talk about that yet. Maybe it's not victory yet. When Jesus says, when you're going through these things, you're not blessed in a way to say that those things are going to go away right away. But instead he's saying, when you go through those things, you can be like me. When we look at this list and Jesus talks about being poor and mourning and humble and hungry and thirsty for justice and being mocked and persecuted, he's actually listing off the things about him. Follow his life. He was poor He's always mourning. He's always sad. There was a study that came out that talked about the emotional, the emotional journey of our Lord Jesus. And it found that for every single time that Jesus was joyful, that Jesus was physically, uh, noticeably happy, he was heartbroken. The word that's described for it in the English translations today is compassion. What it literally means is to have your heart broken. Jesus was moved. He was crying. He was emotional. He was always humble. He was hungry and thirsty for justice. He was mocked. He was persecuted. He was murdered. He was crucified. He's bringing up this list and he's describing himself. And he says, so when you're going through these things, it is not that they don't matter. It is not that you brush them off. It's not that you pretend like they're not real. But instead, when you go through them, you can know this. You can be like me. And what was Jesus like? See where his eyes were. His eyes were always on his goal. His eyes were always on his purpose. What do you believe is the goal or the purpose God's put in your life? Jesus is telling you, when you have these things come up in your life, when there are things that you're going through and they just won't stop, you can keep your eyes on the goals and the purposes that God has put in your life. Jesus says just a little bit after this, therefore you are the light of the world. You're the light. You're the light. You have the opportunity to shine even in the darkest places of the world. You're light. So think about what a light does, right? What do you think of when you think of light? When I think of light, I think of like a light show. And I think of attention. And I think sometimes when we hear Jesus say, you're the light of the world, we think, well, okay, I need to be bringing attention to myself. And so sometimes we use the things that we're going through to draw attention to ourselves instead of just to bring light to the fact that there are people in this world who are hurting and they're not alone. But what is the purpose? What is the goal of a light? Holden, would you go ahead and turn down the lights in this room for just a moment? So I've got my handy dandy flashlight here, right? And as the lights go down, what do you notice about this light? One, it's kind of dull. But two, if you want this light to accomplish its purpose, you don't stare at it, right? Instead, you look at what it points to. The purpose of a light is not to draw attention to itself. Instead, the purpose of a light is to reveal the truth. 
as Christians, we are not going out into this world and say, look at me. We're telling people, look at truth. Look at love. Stop pretending. You can be real. You can bring the lights back up. I think a lot of times when people say that, well, I want to be a light, what they really mean is I want to have success. Who are the successful people in your life? What do you think of when you think of success? What do they have? Jesus talked about the successful people in his days, the socially successful, the religiously successful, the financially successful. And the interesting thing is he doesn't point to them when he says, that's how you should live your life. Instead, he says this about them, specifically about the successful religious people. He says that when they pray, you can go to the next screen. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray out on the street corners. They're the lights that draw attention to themselves in the synagogues where everyone can see them. That's all the reward they'll ever get. But you have a reward that's deeper than that. When I was running that marathon, right? Like oftentimes you think, okay, well, the goal of the marathon, right? The goal of like all of the training that I've gone through is just to get this thing, right? And you're like, okay, well, that's a little underwhelming, but here's my medal. Kind of cool, right? And uh, no, I, I like it, right? Like I think it's neat, um, and frankly, if they didn't give it to me, I would have been pretty mad. Like, give me my medal. I trained for this. I worked for this. You know something that was interesting, though, during the race? During the race, I never once actually had the thought of this medal go through my mind. And you look at it, and you're like, well, yeah, because it's just a piece of metal. <laughs> Nothing particularly special about it. But what was special? I think that sometimes when we're going through something that's difficult, we start to realize the goal the destination is not necessarily the goal. Our purpose is not just to get to the end of it, but our purpose is to shine a light on the truth, to be real, to point to love, to point to God, to point to Christ when we're still going through it. When you're still going through it. As I was running that race, um, a lot of times I was alone um, and, uh, and you just, you're running by yourself and you just see one volunteer and you look at them, and they look at you, and they're like, you're almost there. And you're like, please, shut up. That doesn't help. You're almost there. You have 10 miles to go. And you know, they see you, but they don't really notice you. They certainly don't know you. And so them telling you, you're almost there. There's going to be a destination. You've got a prize at the end. Come on, you can get it. Doesn't really mean much, does it? But about once every three miles, once every four miles, I saw my wife. That was different. Like that was special. It was somebody who noticed me. As I was running that race, I never once thought about this medal. Do you know what I thought about the entire time? The entire time, all I could think of was how badly I just wanted to tell Abby how bad it hurt. <laughs> Ow! And so every time that I'd see her, I, I just was like, you see me, you notice me. You know what I'm going through. How do you go through what you're getting through? It's not about a medal at the end. It's about who's in it with you. I got done with the race and like, I, was, I was just so tired. Like, I couldn't like stand up. Like in this picture, I look kind of goofy. I'm like leaning on her, you know? And I just planted right into her shoulder. And I think back on the race and when I was running with somebody else 
And I'd see Abby and she'd be like, Danny, go, 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 you know, cheering me on. I noticed something around like mile 20. I realized not once have I ever told someone that's my wife, but instead I kept on telling people I'm her husband. Because it just meant so much to me to know that I belonged to her. And the one who I belonged to would not abandon me, wouldn't leave me. I knew that we'd be together. I knew it. And I'm talking about something so much deeper than even a marriage right now. On a level that is so much deeper than a race, on a level that's so much deeper than any human relationship that you can have, there is a God that you belong to. He calls you his child. It's beautiful. In the scriptures, God gives us the chance. He says, go ahead, call me yours. The Bible tells us you are mine and I am yours. Go ahead, call me yours. But I take comfort in knowing that I'm his. There's a guy that I know with a medal that like really matters, right? His name is Ed and he's a member of our church. And he won a gold medal, like an actual gold medal in wrestling. Um, that's the gold medal uh, around my neck. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't have known who won the Olympics, right? I look like a wrestler, right? No. Um, and, uh, and as Ed and I were talking, um, kind of came up in conversation. So why, like, why in the world would you let every single person you know try this thing on? Uh, he's a member of our church. He spoke at a men's event. Every single guy there tried on the gold medal. Um, and he's like, well, wouldn't you, like, if you had it, like, don't you want to try it on? It's like, if I didn't have a gold medal, I'd want to try it on. He wasn't so concerned about, like, keeping it to himself. He wasn't so concerned about what he might lose. He said, listen, if somebody broke this, if somebody stole this, nobody could take away the experience. Nobody could take away what I felt, what I knew, who I was with when I was still going through it. And it hit me. Again, it hit me. It wasn't about a destination. It wasn't about the metal. It wasn't about what he was trying to get to when he was going through it. The joy and the beauty was when he was in it. And who is in it with him? You have something that nobody, nobody can ever take from you. Jesus says it in the book of Matthew, and it's still in Matthew chapter five. He says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Not when you get to your destination. Not when you finally get through it. Not when you ignore it. But now, when it hurts. Here, today, the kingdom of heaven is near, Jesus says, because I've shown up. I'm close to you. Be real about what you're experiencing. Don't fake it. Why don't you go ahead and take a look at this list? I think that there are a lot of people in the world who are pretending their joy instead of being real about their joy. And if you ever want to test, is my joy in my life, is it real or is it fake? I think that you can go through this. Pretend joy is decorative. Real joy is expressive. Think about it like this. If you have a Christmas tree and you put ornaments on it, you say, oh, well, that's so beautiful, but it's just adding to the tree. It's not the tree itself. But expressive is what is ever actually inside of that tree grows out of it. So I have a question for you. Is the joy in your life just something that you decorate your life with just so that people will notice? Is it so that you can be a brighter light that people look at? Or is it expressive? Is it something that's inside of you? People can take the things in your life that are on the outside of you, but they cannot take what's in your heart. 
They cannot take what God has put into your soul. Pretend joy is circumstantial. Pretend joy is really just happiness. It's a reaction, it's a response. But real joy is steady. It is not a response, but it instead is a state of being. It doesn't depend on what's happening around me. Pretend joy seeks reward. It believes that the end destination is the whole purpose of why I'm going through this, but real joy seeks sharing. When I'm in it, I don't have to be concerned about what resources I'm giving away because I know that what I have never runs out. I know that what I have can never be taken from me. Pretend joy is manufactured. I have to create it on my own. I have to chase down those opportunities. I have to get through what I'm going through, but real joy is given to me wherever I am today. And so it is for you. Listen, God does notice you. God knows exactly how you're feeling about joy right now. God knows exactly how you're feeling about what you're going through. In Psalm chapter 40, the Bible reading that you heard for tonight, we're finally getting to it. So I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited. I was going through it. I waited and I waited and I waited. And he turned to me. And he heard my cry. God isn't just some spectator on the side of the road who says, you're almost there, go for it. He notices you. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. And he's joined you in it. I want to go back really quickly to a question that I asked earlier tonight. What was Jesus' purpose? What was his goal? What made him continue to go through what he was going through? Why was he honest about it? Why was he the God who showed up in this world and he didn't flex his muscles, but instead he cried? He didn't laugh at people, but he joined them in their sorrow. What was his goal? What was his purpose? Why was he going through it? Hebrews chapter 12, we brought up this verse about a month ago, but I can't get over it. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Because of the joy awaiting him, he continued to go through what he was going through, even when it wouldn't stop. I just want to, I don't want to get too theological here, but I want to talk about this. When Jesus is on the cross, he was experiencing something that we will never have to experience. When Jesus is on the cross, he takes on the battle with sin, the thing that we can't take on on our own. And he follows sin into its dwelling place, a place where God does not reside, a place where light does not shine, a place where joy does not exist. He follows sin and darkness and death, pain and suffering into its home. And when you go into that place, it's not like you're there for just a minute. He's experiencing the eternity of that moment. He's not just taking on sin for his day. He's not just taking on sin for people before him. He's not just taking on sin for people after him. He's not just taking on sin for you and me. He's taking on sin for eternity. And so when he follows sin into its dwelling place, he is experiencing sin in the home of sin forever in that moment. 
I believe that when Jesus is on the cross, he was experiencing forever in darkness. He was experiencing forever in the thing that wouldn't stop. It wouldn't stop. He's experiencing forever in pain. He's experiencing forever in darkness. He's experiencing forever in depression. He's experiencing forever in anxiety. He's experiencing forever in your biggest fear. He is experiencing forever in that moment. It wouldn't stop. But he endured it because of the joy awaiting him. What was his joy? You know what his joy was. What was his joy? What did he not have? What was the one thing he had to come get? Was it attention? He already had attention from his father for forever. Was it reward? He already had the rewards of heaven. Was it power? He was already God. What? was his joy? What was his purpose? What was his goal? You. Whatever you're going through, regardless of what won't stop, you are his purpose. You are his goal. And he endured forever it wouldn't stop. But neither would he until he had his joy. He's collecting his joy. He's collecting us. He's holding us. He notices us. He knows us because he loves us. How do you get through what you're going through when it won't stop? It's not about the destination. It's not about a medal. It's about being the joy of Jesus. You are the joy of Jesus. See that you are his joy. He will be your joy. And you may not get through what you're going through yet, but you'll be able to keep going through it. You'll know what it's like to be blessed to have a joy that can't be taken from you. Amen. Let's stand up and sing.